I'm Rebecca Ochangajuya Bushell, and I was the first black woman to swim for Great Britain. I'm a former British champion and world number one, but I quit the sport just before the 2012 Olympic Games at just 17. I'll be navigating you through the waters of my swimming world, as I remember it and as it exists now. In hosting this series, I'll also tell you more about my story whilst we explore a question I've often been asked. Why do we swim? Welcome to Physical Capital, a series centered around the human relationship with swimming. What draws us to it? How do we use it? What do we gain from it? And what can it take from us? We'll be looking at swimming from multiple angles to help paint a complete picture of the sport. We're going to be exploring swimming through the prism of physical capital, discussing the physical attributes that can give you an advantage in the water and how they've been used to achieve greatness, but also how they can be affected and influenced by politics, geography, and the unequal distribution of resources. But most importantly, we'll be speaking to swimmers, from those that push themselves to their limits in the swimming pool and in open water, to those that swim for fun and for pleasure, and those who document its history. So, you've learned how to swim. You've given yourself a beautiful life skill that has the potential to reward you with lots of mental and physical benefits. You've made it safe for yourself to be in and around the water. But what if it's not enough? Well, for me it wasn't. Not consciously, but I'd always known I wanted to push myself to my limits in the water. And I think, since my first moments in the pool, I always knew I was going to. Our physical capital, the physiology we have at our disposal, can only take us so far. When races are won and lost by milliseconds, small adaptations can be the difference between a place on the podium or not. I had really fast reaction times. My fast twitch muscle fibers, which are slated to be more common in African people and people of African descent, meant I was always first off the block and first into the water, ahead from the very start of the race. Another breaststroke swimmer, arguably the most well-known, Adam Peaty, has talked about his hypermobility. He's able to hyperextend the space between his knee and his shin bone. Not only that, but Adam has double-jointed ankles, which turn outwards, and particularly long arms. All perfect physical attributes when it comes to swimming at speed, especially swimming breaststroke. In this episode, we explore how the physiology of your body can give you an advantage in the sport of swimming. And we shine a light on the impact swimming can have on your body and its development. My fast twitch muscles put me ahead at the start of the race, which was physically important, but it also gave me a mental edge, which some argue is even more important in this largely individual sport. We'll also be diving into the mental side of swimming how do you mold your mind to compete at the highest level?
help get our heads around how those physical adaptations can give you that advantage, let's start with the basics. Do you need any special traits to start off with? And can anyone become a competitive swimmer? We welcome back Nick Hope to the podcast. Different athletes will give you different answers on this, but ultimately my view of this has been, you know, an athlete has to have that potential first and foremost. You can improve somebody, but they ultimately have to have that base potential there. There is lots that you can do with technique. There is lots that you can do in terms of aerobic capacity to improve that person. But fundamentally, their genetics will allow them to improve to a certain level. So those at the very top They have superhuman abilities that are enhanced upon by all of the modern technology and the support that can be given, but they have to have that potential in the first instance. And it's about how you tap into ensuring that they are able to tap into their ultimate potential to reach that that mark. And when you hear it put like that, it's obvious, isn't it? An athlete needs to show potential. Otherwise, what's the point in pursuing that sport at all? But as Nick puts it, It's the proper utilisation of those superhuman abilities that can really give you the edge. And so, is it only the people with these adaptations that can reach the very highest level? The most interesting comparison or contrast that I can give is if you look at a sport like rowing, where they will do talent identification. It's not like swimming where you get in at a young age and develop over time. And over a period of 10 years, you will try to create this perfect swimmer to the best of their ability. With rowing, they will literally look at a person's size, their hands, their feet, their physique, and be able to say, there is a very good chance I can make you into an elite athlete, potentially a world champion, an Olympic champion. And I will base that off your physiology looking at you. I can make you the athlete afterwards, but the size of you is ultimately what will help you become a champion. That doesn't happen in the same way. There is no one size fits all in swimming. Yes, height, big hands, big feet can all certainly help. The taller you are, the less distance you have to swim. If you think about it, you know, your reach is further. There is less distance that you have to travel between A and B, ultimately. Fewer strokes that you will need. So there are advantages to being bigger, for example. But if you are too big, if you are too heavy, that can be a disadvantage. If your muscle mass is too great in swimming, it can be a negative because ultimately this is a sport where lean muscle, lean, strong muscle, generally speaking, is better because the way that you will tire and fatigue in a sport different to sports that are on the ground, for example. What essentially I'm saying is swimmers across the poolside can come from all different backgrounds and from all different shapes and sizes. Height and length of limbs can certainly help, but you will see comparatively small swimmers who are under six foot, for example, who can still beat those who are six foot three, six foot four. There are a range of body types that can be successful in swimming because it is how you're able to adapt your body to produce the best stroke. Maybe it's not as straightforward as saying that those with quote unquote superhuman abilities are going to be the most likely to win. It's about how you use the physical capital that you have to reach its full potential. But your physical capital is also fragile. It's funny, because swimming's low-impact label can be really misleading. Injuries remain really common in the sport due to its repetitive nature, the nuances of its technique, and the intensity of the training. When you're in the water, you're suspended, only coming into contact with the wall at the end of each length. So it's almost the opposite of high-impact activities like running. 
But that doesn't mean that swimmers aren't liable to serious injury. While swimming is easier on the joints than other sports, the repetitive nature of the strokes can easily cause overuse injuries. Swimmers train relentlessly, performing the same stroke over and over again, straining their muscles and joints, leading to conditions like swimmer's shoulder or rotator cuff injuries. And a major issue is that the pursuit of perfection can lead to overtraining. And just like gymnastics, in swimming, sometimes this can happen at a very young age. Women tend to peak earlier in the sport of swimming due to physiological and hormonal differences. Growth spurts are commonplace and they often reach their physical maturity sooner. This can lead to faster development of strength and endurance, which are crucial to high performance. My first peak in swimming was around the age of 15. I was beating swimmers 10 years older than me and ranked in the top five in the whole world. A year later, I became double British champion. But then two years after that, I was out of the sport for good. Despite these incredible feats and recognition so young, the knock-on effects of women peaking early can be very negative. Early success can bring the insurmountable challenge of maintaining peak performance over a long career. And often, this leads to burnout, injury, and early retirement, if not properly managed by coaches. Additionally, the pressure to succeed earlier may limit opportunities for female swimmers to explore other interests, especially educational pursuits. My A-level exams fell over the summer of 2012, which would have been the first Olympics that I'd competed at. The choice between education and the sport I loved was incredibly complex, and this tension plagued my career from the very beginning. I know so many swimmers who didn't go on to get a full education, and I think one of the most challenging things about the sport is to know that there has to be a life after it. In America, they say that the biggest employer of ex-Olympians is Home Depot. Understanding these dynamics, as challenging and as difficult as they might be to confront, is essential for nurturing and supporting athletes, both in the pool and beyond. We've taken a deep dive into the physical side of swimming, but what about when it comes to the psychological element? Arguably, it's just as important. You can be in the best shape of your life, but if you're not mentally ready, you may not make it off the blocks. Swimming is about the full package. You can train and you can perfect your technique. You can perfect your endurance, your ability to recover. But how you handle the pressure of going out on poolside and delivering your best performance when you're in a completely near alien environment where you might have partisan fans, where you may have no fans. I mean, that was something that many athletes actually found more difficult about the Tokyo Games than before, was all of a sudden there was no one there to cheer them on. Hopefully that won't ever happen again going forwards and we'll always have big audiences. But that mentality is arguably just as important. You need to have good physical conditioning and training, but if you cannot get your head in the right place, then arguably you're not going to be able to deliver the potential that your body holds in there. And I think that is something that so many athletes have become much more aware of. And a big part of that as well, actually, is athletes opening up now about the struggles they're having 
not just physically, but being able to say, do you know what? And, and this happened a lot when I was speaking to athletes out in Japan at the recent world championships, athletes pre-competition, post-competition saying, do you know what? I have struggled over the last year. Mentally, I have struggled. I'm not where I want to be, or this has been a real challenge for me. And having that openness, I think, can make a real difference to athletes coming through, but also those at the top to know that it's okay not to be okay, that all athletes go through this. And I think that is actually helping a lot more people at the top address the issues that perhaps previously they've hidden. I mean, if you look at Michael Phelps, as we said, you know, the 23 Olympic time Olympic champion, 28 time Olympic medalist, went through some real challenges during his career. We only found out about those when he was in the newspaper, when something had gone terribly wrong. Now, when you look at somebody like Adam Peaty, who hasn't competed at the last two world championships, one through injury and then this one, because he was just open and said, you know, I'm not in a great place. I have had some real challenges in my personal life. And as a result, I need to take a step back. That is something that you would never have had five, 10 years ago, an athlete being that open. And ultimately, while he's taken time away, he seems like he's in a good place now because athletes and the support system around them is so much better than it's ever been. There is an appreciation that athletes will go through this pressure, they will go through these challenges, that they're not robots, they are humans, even though they are superhumans in many ways because of their physicality, and that they need that care and support. We're living in a time where speaking up about personal struggles with mental health is becoming more welcomed and encouraged. And for someone like Adam Peaty to be so publicly open about what he's been going through and the effects it's had on his ability to compete sets such a great example for all the athletes of the future. I'm Hannah Stoyle. I'm a sport exercise psychologist. I work in aquatic sports. I work with swimmers at our Olympic program and with Olympic divers as well. And what we're talking about my work in swimming today. I also work in private practice and I also work a lot of swimmers there. And I spent many, many years working with Swim England and their talent pathway with swimmers. So I was also a swimmer myself. <laughs> so I know a lot about swimming. Hannah joins us to help shed some light on the role mindset plays in becoming a successful swimmer. So I always think of it as your mentality, your mindset as a foundation, right? So it's not like something is mental or physical. It's like they go together. So happy swimmers are successful swimmers. And that mindset really kind of sets the foundation on which the house can be built. So of course, when you show up on race day, there's a lot of physical elements. But really what it's about is going, can you show up on race day and put forward your best physical efforts because your mindset allows you to do that? Do you stay after training? to do your extra core work, to do your post-pull, to do your stretching, because your mindset is at a place where it allows you to do that. You know, swimming is a sport where you spend a lot of time staring at a black line at the bottom of a pool, like it's boring, that's okay. It's grueling and it's boring and it's also amazing, but that's what it is. And so I think it's realizing you need the right mindset to get you through those tough times, but you also need the right mindset to help you realize that when you get on the blocks, when you go to race, it, if it doesn't go well, it's a learning experience, right? It sounds cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. And that it's not that you haven't failed as a human being. You've just not had a good race. And so you need the right mindset to not kind of carry with you a certain amount of baggage that would then mentally and physically weigh you down in the water. So there's a huge amount of managing adrenaline, managing your emotions, you know, throughout the year and on race day. Because if you dive in for a 400 meter freestyle and your adrenaline is going and you sprint that first 50, it's not going to end well. Right, you've got to know how to pace it. So all of that comes into play because what we really want is a mindset to be one in which the kind of rational tactical side of you doesn't get too lost. 
on race day so you can, you can stick to all that you know all those training plans all those ideas you don't want to lose that this is something i remember all too well from my time the hours spent staring at the line on the bottom of the pool visualizing our race as we were taught to do and then not racing as well as you know you can it all gets inside your head leading to what we used to call the nerves some days these would be so bad you felt like you couldn't swim at all i'm sure almost every swimmer has experienced this and so i'd like to get hannah's definition of exactly what it is performance anxiety is the feeling of nervousness ahead of a performance and it can feel quite somatic so you might feel like butterflies in your stomach or you might you know feel your heart beating or sweaty hands and things like that it's also often accompanied by thoughts around i don't know if i can do this what if it goes wrong and things like that and it's usually feels you know described like butterflies in your stomach and and things like that that's performance anxiety feeling nervous about how a performance would go and that's completely natural and okay and potentially that becomes an unhelpful feeling something i used to suffer from was overtraining syndrome i remember training for hours and hours a day during the heaviest periods of the year and then getting in the gym and doing a hard weight session on top some mornings i felt like i was concreted to my bed i couldn't move my legs felt like lead and the fatigue started to erode my motivation so we can end up overtraining and that can then lead to a variety of physical and mental health concerns so when you overtrain and you get overtraining syndrome and get burnout we have like a massive lack of motivation and happiness and the mood can really dip you can also end up much more prone to injury you can end up with a lot of issues around kind of response to training even though you're putting the effort in you actually can't make any changes your body is not adapting to anything a lot of times people who menstruate they may stop menstruating and things like that and it can really affect a ton of your bodily functions and we always talk about how it can have performance implications but it also has health implications so you can end up really really physically burned out The psychology here is sometimes suppressed it like it starts the overtraining syndrome because psychologically I think I need to do more I need to do more I need to do more but sometimes it starts physically and then there's a psychological result of going this is too much for me and I now have a low mood even if I don't realize why and a lot of times accompanied with kind of issues for the body and the mind. We've covered the mental strain that swimming can put on you. But it feels like at the minute we're being fed reams of information talking about the mental health benefits of swimming. So let's be reminded that it's not all bad. Exercise in general, I mean, you know, has huge mental health benefits. I think the nice thing about swimming from a sensory perspective, it's pretty all-encompassing, right? So you have the feeling of the water on your body, it's quiet under the water, you can feel it on your hands, it feels different and you can feel that. And I think that can be incredibly calming for a lot of people, right? Whether or not you find sensory things difficult or not, for all of us it can be really nice to expose ourselves to different, maybe minimized sensory experiences. And maximize sensory experiences in other ways, right? The feeling of weightlessness is really nice. There's also an element of, you know, why you can get overuse injuries from a mental health perspective. Like it's not as jarring on the body, and therefore you're not quite as worried. Like, oh, am I going to like blow my knee out? Like, no, you're just coming out of the pool. <laughs> you know, it's okay. That kind of thing. So there's big mental health benefits there, and then also to see endorphins that come from the endurance side of training. It's a quite a nice progress tracking sport, right? You can see how far you've gone. You can see yourself getting faster. Like those things about the kind of objective nature of measuring it, helping your brain celebrate those successes has good mental health benefits as well. So I think there's a lot of nice things about getting down to your local pool and, and enjoying a swim. It doesn't have to be anything fast, right? It can be enjoyable no matter what speed you go. 
given mindset is so important. I wonder if our innate mentality plays a role in who can even compete in swimming. So I think everyone is teachable, right? Like we, we can all learn how to do things. It really just comes down to it. So it's not a natural mindset for them to have. Are they open-minded enough to try it? One of my favorite quotes is like, you don't know what you don't know. So it's kind of going, all right, I don't, I don't know if a change in mindset might help me. I don't know what else I can do. What if my ceiling could be raised by trying something else or thinking about it differently or bringing in a change to my nervous system through some breath work, whatever it's going to be. If you're open-minded to it, it all works. You know, it's kind of like you just keep doing what you've always done. You're going to get what you've always got. So I think anyone can learn it. You just have to be brave enough to go for it. Hannah's insight into the psychological side of swimming is incredibly interesting especially having experienced so much of it myself. So, more from Hannah in the next episode. The commitment to swimming that we spoke about earlier in the series seems to have a whole new meaning. It's not just committing your time and energy to the sport. We're talking about committing to it with your whole body and mind too. You have to hand over your mentality to the sport. Your psychology is now that of an athlete's, ready to deal with the intense pressure. In time, you learn that your body will change drastically too, and the physical impact of the sport is something that affects you forever. My body feels forever changed by my time as a swimmer. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at what all of this means for women in the sport of swimming. As if swimming isn't hard enough as a woman, as a young girl, you know, and then your peers are dropping out because our bodies are changing and it's a male-dominated sport, so the male coaches aren't really talking about it or taking as much time as they should be to talk about it. And as a result of that, girls are dropping like flies. So the ones left standing are more isolated, more confused, you know, maybe more understanding in the sense of their bodies, but that doesn't make the journey easier.